Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. We are in a sermon series. We'll be looking at the 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. So that will be our preaching passage for this morning. The sermon series is titled, Good Things. We're looking at uh, the good things that are part of the Christian faith, good things about God. And here, we in, in our passage, we encounter a couple of good things. We encounter a, a good fight. We're going to think a little bit about a good confession. But let's first think about that phrase, fight the good fight. I wonder, uh, that's probably a phrase you've heard before, fight the good fight. What do you think makes a fight a good fight? So here's my theory. A fight is determined whether it's good or bad based upon what you're fighting about. It's my working premise for this morning. Uh, and I have some experience because I have, I have ample experience with really lame fights. Uh, my boys in particular will be tussling upstairs about who knows what, even they don't know what, and I'll say, what are you fighting about? And they will say something like, well, we're fighting about, and it's just completely inane, right? Whatever they're fighting about is just worthless, uh, insignificant, makes no difference. They're just fighting, they're, that is a bad fight, right? By contrast, some fights are good fights. So uh, I've critiqued my boys now uh, to praise them in, uh, uh, by a, a small degree. Uh, Jack, uh, my eldest boy, at 13, 14, got in a fight at junior high. And I've told each of my boys, like, it's part of growing up. You just got to get in a fight at least one time. I'm not sure it's an official parenting uh, premise, but that's what I've told my kids. Uh, you know, playground bullies still exist, so you're going to get in a fight, might as well get used to it. And so uh, Jack got in a fight, and I said, well, what happened? He said, a guy tripped me, and then he pushed me. I'm like, well, that's a good fight to get in, buddy. That you got, that's what you got to do. So he fought to stand up for himself, and that would make it a good fight, right? So a good fight is good based on what you're fighting for. And we're going to think about the fight of a Christian life, because when the Bible says fight the good fight, this is not just some person saying, hey, that was a great fight, way to go, as if it's watching a boxing match. This is God's approval. This is as if God were saying, that right there, that's the good fight that you should be fighting. So we're going to look at what that is, okay? In order to do that, we're going to have to think what the Christian fight is about. And the Christian fight is about the good confession. So if you can see in your sermon notes, we're actually not going to get to the third point. We'll really just focus on two things this morning. We're going to look at the good confession, because the good confession is what the Christian faith fights about. And then we're going to look at the good fight, okay? So uh, another thing that's good that we're told in this passage is the good conf confession. And you see that phrase that shows up uh, twice. First, in reference to Timothy, you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Do you see that? That's in verse 12. And then the same phrase shows up in verse 13. Jesus Christ made the good confession. No, we're not told what the content of the good confession is. We're just simply made, told that Jesus made it, Timothy made it, a good confession. What is it? Well, we actually know a little bit about what Jesus said in front of Pontius Pilate. So we call it the end of Christ's life. He, was stood in front, he stood in front of Pontius Pilate, and this is recorded in each of the four Gospels. Uh, and there's a little more color in some Gospels than others, but Pontius Pilate asked Jesus one question in particular. He may have asked other things, but he certainly asked one question. And the question that he asked Jesus was, are you the king? You can find that in each one of the Gospels. Are you the king of the Jews? And 
The good confession made by Jesus at that moment was, yes, I am. He accepted this sort of this messianic title. Are you, are you the, the king of the Jews? He, he could have conceivably said no and escaped a heck of a lot of pain, but he did not. He uh, received, he accepted that messianic title, and that is the good confession. He, one commentator said this, uh, uh, Jesus' good confession in front of Pilate was his messianic self-testimony. Make sense? So he said, I am the guy, I am the savior, I am the king, I am the Lord of the Lord, right? Interestingly, that confession, Jesus is Lord, which he made in front of Pilate about himself, became sort of the fundamental confession of the early church. So if you look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9, right, we, in our church, in every church, there's sort of, what do you need to believe in order to be a Christian? That's a fair question. But in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says this, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord and confess him as your savior, then you will be saved. In other words, what, Pi what Jesus said in front of Pilate becomes a little bit of the, 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 the genesis of a creedal statement of what do you need to be believe and affirm in order to be a Christian? Well, certainly more than Jesus is Lord, but not less. And so this confession of the lordship of Christ becomes the, almost the litmus test for all who would claim to follow him. And this, friends, is likely the good confession that Timothy made in front of many witnesses. So the confession that Timothy made in front of many witnesses is probably a church setting. You know, in confirmation, we'll ask young people, old people, do you trust in Jesus and promise to follow him as your Lord? And candidates will say, I do. And it's likely that this is what is referenced here, that Jesus is the Lord. And that is what Timothy confessed in the presence of many witnesses. What the apostle, what Jesus said in front of Pilate became the foundational building block of the faith, which became the confession that Timothy made. Jesus is Lord. And you can see at the end of this passage, verses 15 and 16, that this uh, confession actually becomes a, a praise. Do you see, uh, Jesus, who is blessed, the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable, unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. That's a longhand way of saying what? Jesus is king. He is the only king. He is the only sovereign. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, etc. Maybe you know the story of uh, John Baptiste Massillon. He was a country parson uh, living in, during the reign of Louis XIV. Now, Louis XIV was uh, the king that lived in the greatest opulence and the greatest wealth of any. Uh, his name, chosen name was Louis the Great. He was referred to as the Sun King. He lived in the palace of Versailles. And when he died, this unknown priest, Massillon, was tasked with giving the eulogy at the funeral for Louis XIV. And Louis XIV, who was the greatest man and the greatest nation of the time, laid in state 
in Notre Dame Cathedral. And Louis XIV had instructed that there be one candle, that all the lights be dimmed in the Notre Dame Cathedral, and one candle be set on his coffin as an indicator of what? His greatness, the Sun King, Louis the Great. One candle shining on. So Massillon began his sermon. He said nothing. He simply closed the Bible, went down to the a casket, snuffed the candle, and said, only God is great. Louis XIV, all the kings of the, king, of, the, of the world are not great, but only God is great. He could have been preaching from this passage. This is the good confession made by Jesus in front of Pilate, made by Timothy, the good confession that Jesus is king. He alone is great. And when I was a young person, new in my faith, someone drew the distinction for me between the two commitments that every follower of Christ makes. We say, do you trust in Jesus as your Savior, and do you promise to follow him as your Lord? And those are two important promises. They're two distinct promises that we make. We're very, I'm very comfortable with that first one. Do I trust in Jesus? Yes, I trust in Jesus. But do I promise to follow him as my Lord? I need to become more familiar with that. I bet you and I do too. What does it mean to follow Jesus as your Lord? Let me just suggest, uh, draw on a song that you probably know day by day. Day by day, these three things I pray. Do you know that song? I pray that I would what? I would know thee more clearly, to know Jesus as he is. That's what this passage, that's what the intention of this passage, he alone is great. He alone dwells in unapproachable light. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. And throughout the Bible, the, the, the New Testament tells us this is Jesus as he is. He is the king of kings. He is the head of the church. He is the firstborn of all creation. John Stott writes, if only the veil could be taken from our eyes, and we could see Jesus as he is, in the fullness of his person, in the greatness of his saving work, then we would give him the honor that is due his name. See him more clearly, to love him more dearly. Jesus is not only the great king, but he is your king, he is my king, he is the king that lays down his life for you and me, to love him more dearly, and then to follow him more nearly. You'll note in our passage, it begins with this instruction to the young pastor Timothy, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, faith, love, steadfast, and gentleness. Why are we to pursue these virtues? Because those are the virtues that were present in Christ's life. The purpose of a Christian is to become like Christ. So what does it mean to follow Jesus as your Lord? It means a little bit of that. It certainly could mean more, but it means that we seek to know him as he is, to love him for what he has done, and to follow him more, as closely as we can. No one can do it perfectly, but still, the goal of the Christian is Christ-likeness. That is the good confession. That is a good confession made by Jesus in front of Pilate, that formed the bedrock for the confession of all 
Christians and is the good confession made in, uh, by Timothy in front of many witnesses. Jesus is Lord. He alone is great. And now that transitions us into our second and final point, which is to fight the good fight. And here's what I've concluded. That when this passage says, fight the good fight, it is not, it's, it's a fight for the affections of your heart. The fight that, that this letter has in mind is the fight of not making the good confession, but of keeping, keeping it, keeping the good confession. Timothy made the good confession that Jesus is Lord, and now the fight is to keep it. Let me explain why this is a fight by using a personal example. Uh, Jennifer and I celebrated 21 years of marriage on September 23rd. Uh, we have a healthy marriage, we have a fun marriage, but marriage, as you know, requires a lot of work. Uh, and just one humorous uh, anecdote from our marriage that sort of portrays the type of work that's involved. So we were married on the 23rd of September, went on our honeymoon. Our first uh, day back, we moved back to North Arlington in a one-bedroom apartment. And I was getting ready for bed. I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth and uh, hopped into bed and Jennifer followed suit. And I didn't realize this at the time, but when she went into the bathroom, she let out an audible sigh. Because I had made a, a, a faux pas, which is to, I squeezed the toothpaste from smack dab in the middle, which I never knew there was a right way to squeeze the toothpaste, but apparently you're supposed to start from the back and you're supposed to roll it up. Most guys are thinking, really? You're, that's, yes, that's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to squeeze that thing anywhere. And Jennifer had this audible gasp, sigh of, well, you know, it's one thing to be married and to be in love when you're at a church and, you know, do you? Yes, I do. Uh, it's one thing to be in love uh, when you're on your honeymoon, but it's another thing to be in love while you're in the, the, the normal challenges of domestic life, right? In the humdrum. It's, it's one thing to fall in love. It's another thing to stay in love 21 years later, right? Why? Because the heart is prone to wander. You know that great song, My Heart, Lord, is is prone to wander. You know, I feel it. So take and seal my heart to you. It's a, it's a song about faith, but it certainly is applicable in marriage, right? The, the, the hard thing is not falling in love. The hard thing is staying in love. The hard, the hard thing is not being tender on your honeymoon. The hard thing is to be tender 21 years later, and it's work. It's not, it's not, it's, it's good work, but believe, believe me, it is work. The word here, when it says fight the good fight, that word fight is agonizomai. It's from the word, we get the word agony from it. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was fighting. He was in agony. That's the same word. You may think, what's, what's so hard about keeping the good confession? Right? Anyone can make the good confession. Right? Anyone can stick that bumper sticker and it says, Jesus is Lord on your, on your car. Right? What's, what's so hard? What's so agonizing about that? The point is, anyone can make the good confession. Can you keep it? You can put the bumper sticker on your car, but can you drive like a Christian on 495 in rush hour? Right? That's the hard work. 
Making the good confession is not hard. It's significant, but it's not hard. It's not hard to affirm the greatness of God on a Sunday morning. It's not hard to affirm that Jesus is Lord on a Sunday morning. It is hard to keep it. It is hard to keep faith vital 21, 25, 50, 75 years later. And throughout this letter, one of the constant themes of this letter, as the older Paul writes to the younger Timothy, is to keep the faith. Keep the faith with a good conscience, we read in chapter 1, verse 19. The same thing is repeated in chapter 2, verse 9. Hold the faith with a good conscience. He warns of some who have shipwrecked their faith. Again, chapter 1. They did not keep the faith. They let their faith grow dull. They wandered. As a matter of fact, if you back up, this passage is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. If you back up two verses to chapter uh, to verse 10 or 9, you read a very famous passage. For the love of money is the root of all evil. We all know that part. And then it goes on. It is through this craving that some have done what? They've wandered from the faith. And that's how it happens. Faith was not taken. Their faith or love of Christ was not taken forcefully from them. But their love for money they just sort of wandered away. And you can empathize. I can empathize. Can't you? Right? When money is good, God is just a little bit less good. The fight for the Christian, your fight and my fight, is not is for the affections of your heart. Who, who occupies your imagination? Who has your affection? A great theologian said, what the heart wants, the will will pursue while the mind will justify. Think of what, whatever your heart wants, your will is going to pursue it. And so the fight for the Christian is to maintain the vitality of the simple statement that Jesus is in fact the Lord, and he is great, and there is no one like him. All the disciplines of the Christian life are, are, are not ends in themselves. We encourage in this church the practice of generosity, not as an end in itself, but it is a way for you and me to dethrone a potential rival. We encourage fasting in this church. Why? Because it is one way for you to die a little bit to the fleeting desires of this transitory life. Things like worship, Bible study, community groups. These are ways that you, not, that you re-enthrone God as, the, as the, the Lord of your life. You remind yourself that he is good. I know that Sunday mornings are busy, and I have a great amount of sympathy for family travels and sports, but friends, I just, I wonder when Sunday stops becoming like, one of the things that Jennifer and I try to do to keep our marriage alive is to have a date night. <laughs> and think of Sunday morning as your date night. <laughs> it's your date night with God. It's your way to remind yourself that God is great and nothing else is. Bible study, uh, uh, your personal devotional, your... Uh, Small group studies, these are all ways that you re-enthrone Jesus as who he is, the Lord of your life.
So in sum, what I'm saying is that the disciplines of the Christian life, study, worship, fasting, giving, these aren't ends. These are just ways that you and I work, fight, the good fight, to guide and govern the affections of your heart. So let me conclude. I'm going to conclude and ask for your involvement because I want us in some small ways to renew the affections of your heart now in our service of worship. So let's take a moment and clarify in our mind's eye who Jesus is. The King of Kings, Lord of Lords who dwells in unapproachable light, who no eye has seen. Let's think for a moment about what he did, emptied himself of his glory. He entered our world as a helpless child. He lived a faultless life. He died a criminal's death on our behalf. He was raised from the grave. He now reigns on high. In our baptismal service, Candidates are asked to affirm this good confession. The good confession that we've thought about, that Jesus is Lord. And the response that I'll ask of you is, the response is, I do. So friends, here now, in the presence of many witnesses, do you confess him as your Lord and Savior? If so, the response is, I do. I do.